Let's pray to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we bow before you in just adoration, in an acknowledgement that all that we are, all that we have, is all yours. And we are commanded in Scripture and just in the passages that we've been soaking in over the past months to, to treasure you above all else, to do things for the heavenly reward, to have right focus, to have right priority, to have, Lord, right practice. And so I pray as we just bring all of these things together once again, as we zero in on, on this truth this morning, that we would do just that, that, that we would walk away here reminded and, and encouraged that we have to treasure our Lord Jesus Christ above all else, and everything else will just take care of itself. You will take care of everything else. Help us, Lord, for these, the, this truth to ring in our hearts. Would you, would you remove any distractions right now, and would you enable me to clearly speak and communicate your truth to the hearts of the hearers. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, church, once again. Does anyone know what these are? Binoculars. Great. Good answer, class. Uh, what are binoculars made for? Okay, to see far away, great. Good answer, again, right answer. Praise the Lord. Binoculars, they help us to see what's ahead of us, something that's far, we wanna be able to clearly see it. You know, usually the object or whatever it is that we're looking at, it can actually be seen without these right? For the most part. Um, these help us to focus on that one thing. They zero in on, on that thing and they make it clear, they make it bigger so that we can see it better, just like some of you just mentioned. I want you to keep this, this in mind. Okay, I'm going to set it right here. And as we Getting to our passage, I want us to think of binoculars. I want us to, to think of focus. This morning, we have a special passage here that, that in which Christ challenges us with a question. And this question is, what are you focusing on and treasuring in your life? You know, something unique with these binoculars is that when, when we... Uh, zero in on an item, on the scene, on a person, everything around us is still there. Nothing disappears. But we create this tunnel vision on this one thing so that it feels like nothing exists except for that thing, and everything else fades to the background. So... What are you focusing on and treasuring in your life? Or better yet, who are you focusing on 
and treasuring in your life. Please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. In this passage this morning, we're coming to another section break, which initially seems a bit awkward, but don't be thrown off by this break. It's not awkward. In, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus emphasizes two aspects of the kingdom, two aspects of the kingdom, the practice and priorities, practice and priorities. Practice in verses 1 through 18, and then in verses 19, he addresses our priorities all the way through the end of the chapter. And both practices and priorities of the kingdom citizens, they demonstrate one thing, Godward focus. Godward focus. In verses 1 through 18, Jesus encourages his disciples to focus on heavenly reward. There are two types of reward, in fact, if you remember, one that comes from other people and one that comes from God the Father. And as we've already seen, Jesus believes that only one of these rewards is, is far superior than the other. So go for that one. Focus on, on that reward. This reward, in fact, is only given to those who live in a way that pleases God rather than men. The way you practice your righteousness, Jesus taught, in the way you give, in the way you pray, in the way you fast, that is motivated by the heavenly reward. In fact, get this, if you remember in chapter 5, Jesus says this reward, this heavenly reward is so great that according to 5, 11, and 12, it inspires such joy in those who live for Jesus that even through persecution, they will be devoted to Jesus. That's great. That is the heavenly reward. So the call here is not to settle for earthly rewards like human approval and, and satisfaction, but to focus instead on the superior approval of God. Now, as we come to today's passage, Jesus presents his disciples with another contrast. Instead of rewards, the issue is treasures. What treasures are you focusing on is the question. What will ultimately give you lasting satisfaction, earthly or heavenly, once again, earthly or heavenly treasures? Because check this out, your values reveal your priorities. What you value today, it demonstrates, it reveals something about what you're about. What is number one in your life? What concerns you? The most. So, so your priorities, they reveal your concerns, your values. And what you value reveal what or who you depend on. They're all linked and tied together. Jesus here uses vivid examples, treasures, eyes, masters. Three illustrations. Body parts. Money, things that are so precious to us in this life to illustrate a bigger point. The point of this passage, brothers and sisters, church, is not strictly about money and stuff, but how money and stuff can get in the way of us focusing on and valuing that which is most important, the one who is most important. 
That's what this passage is all about. That's what this passage calls us to do. This is what this passage calls us to pursue and focus on. So let us read Matthew 6, beginning with verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. So as you pull out your outlines that are available to you there in your bulletins, I want us to focus on this theme, on this main point that we're going to take away here this morning, and that is this. Jesus teaches in this passage that eternal satisfaction does not result for from craving earthly stuff. Your ultimate satisfaction does not result from craving earthly stuff, but from treasuring Christ and his agenda, from focusing on Jesus Christ and treasuring him far and above all else. And only then you will be satisfied. So I want us to to study these verses by asking three probing questions. Number one, where is your treasure? Number two, how is your vision? And number three, who is your master? Where's your treasure? How's your vision? And who is your master? So let's begin with number one. Where is your treasure? Now, we can find a quick answer in verse 21. Because verse 21 gives us an answer. You know where your treasure is? Wherever your heart is. So we can go there and it's like, well, we're done. Let's back up and go. We all know this verse. It's one of the most important one of the most famous verses of the entire sermon, and even unbelievers often quote this verse in reference to whatever they're doing, in reference to whatever, whatever they're passionate about, whatever they're valuing. But what does it mean? Well, for starters, verse 21, Jesus in this verse teaches that if we can, uh, um, if we can locate our treasures, okay, if we can just identify where our treasure is, then we can automatically locate where our heart is because it's going to be in the same place. The location of our treasures determines the location of our hearts, our focus. Okay, so very simple verse. So the simple answer then to this question, where is your treasure is wherever your heart is. But to feel this, the full effect of what Jesus is teaching here, we need to consider these two commands and, and we need to consider these two treasures. And so he begins in verse 19, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. And then verse 20, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Literally, do not treasure this treasure, but treasure that treasure. Do not store up, do not 
treasure. This word is very interesting. Um, We get our word storehouse from this word treasure, to store up. Storehouse. In fact, the word thesaurus comes from this Greek term, which, which literally means storehouse for words. We, we use this, this resource. I use this resource a lot. You want to look up a synonym or an antonym to, to a term that you're thinking, thesaurus.com. Boom. Why? Because it's a storehouse for words. So Jesus says, don't create a storehouse of earthly treasures. This word here is used eight times in the, in the New Testament. And Jesus basically sums up in verses 20, or 19 through 21 with a single word, value. What is your value? What are you valuing or where are you treasuring? What are you storing up? What are you chasing after? That's what we need to be asking. And, and notice something here that Jesus did not, does not define for us what this treasure is. He doesn't say, Disciples, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Let me tell you what that is. Parentheses, A, B, C, D. He doesn't give us the list of things. Now, true in verse 21 or in 24, for instance, wealth, he says, money. So he identifies that, and that's certainly earthly treasure. In verse 25, he, he proceeds forward, and, and he talks about food and clothing, and, and certainly that can be earthly treasure, but, but here I think Jesus is intentionally vague, intentionally vague. Why? Because he, he doesn't want us to reduce this treasure to a simple list of things so that as long as we don't do this, A, B, C, D, then we're good. Like as long as this list does not conclude what we're after, right, then we can go after that because why? It's not on the list. It's kind of what kids do oftentimes with parents, right? Where can I go? And you're thinking of a concept, and so therefore you, you describe few areas, few categories by naming them. You can't go there, there, there. Why? Because you will find sin there. And they're like, okay, so I'm going to go there, 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 there. Why? Because it's not on the list. And that's not what Jesus is saying here. Listen, do not store up your, for yourselves treasures on earth Instead, he wants us to to think deeply to identify what we're valuing in this life that is so important to us. What is in your life that you simply cannot live without? That is the object of your worship. Think about this week, this past week. What did you spend most time on working towards this past week? That is your treasure. Or maybe this will help you identify your treasure. What are you most worried about in life? Because guess what? This is exactly where Jesus goes to next. If you flip to verse 25, for this reason I say to you, do not worry. Why? Why? What's his point here in verse 25? His point is that focus on the things of the world brings anxiety. Why? Because all the things of the world are unstable. You can't trust it. You think you got it. 
You think you made it. You think you bought it. You think you invested it. You wake up and it's all gone. Why? Because it's here. Because it's earthly. Consider what Jesus teaches about earthly treasures. He makes a point here that earthly treasures are temporal. Why? Because you have to deal with moths, you have to deal with rusts, and you have to deal with thieves. Moths, rust, and thieves. Earthly treasures, they get destroyed by moths. Now, just like today, clothing was very valued in the ancient world. Wealth was, in, in fact, measured very much by what you wore and how much clothing you had. Much of your wealth, much of your resources, things would be invested into what you wore. But all of these investments, they were always susceptible to moths who like to munch on wool. Think about this. Why, why moths? Like, why does Jesus bring in moths? I mean, they're so small. They're so insignificant. Have you ever killed a moth? Right? You, you, you grab it, and then you squeeze it, and then what happens? It's just dust. Right? It, it, it disintegrates into nothing. And, and what's his point here? What, what is Jesus trying to teach us here? Listen, he is saying this. If something that is so fragile as a moth can destroy your stuff, what to speak of hurricanes, earthquakes, fires, and all kinds of other natural disasters and everything else, the great grand things. We don't need to go there. Jesus says, consider a moth. Yeah, you have no control over. God does. And that moth comes in, and it destroys your investment. But not only that, think about rust. Earthly treasures are susceptible to rust. Now, literally, this, this translation here, this term means to eat or of eating. This is the only verse here in the Bible that's using this term to translate as rust, but the idea here is reference to, to your food, like your grain, which might be eaten by, by rats or, or other vermin. So if it's not clothing, then it's your food supply that will, a rat comes in and, and just eats it all. Easy. It happens all the time. It happens today. Your clothing isn't safe. Your food source isn't safe. I mean, do you get the point? Sooner or later, earthly treasures, they perish. And guess what? That which is not destroyed by moth or eaten gets stolen. Gets stolen. Well, he says thieves break in and they steal. Interesting, the word break in literally means to, to dig through. Where thieves dig through and steal. Back in the day, homes were made out of hard clay or, or mud. And so in order to get in, you would need to dig through the wall. Or, or many times, back in the day, whenever you had anything valuable that was imperishable, 
or so you thought, you would go into your field, dig a hole, you put it in the bag of some sort, you would hide it in your field. Does that ring a bell? Matthew 13, 44, right? Someone who found treasure in the field. So you would take your valuables and you would do that. And then thieves would often go through and they would find fresh soil. They would get into your field and they would figure out, okay, where are they hiding their treasures? They would dig it up and they would steal. They were looking for other people's stuff in order to profit from them. And uh, you could kind of observe the similar example nowadays. Um, When was the last time you were at a beach and seen a guy with a pair of headphones with a shovel and a metal detector walking around? What is he looking for? He's looking for treasures. He's looking for stuff that people lost, their possession, their earthly treasures, in order to find it and benefit from it. In fact, thieves back in the day, they were called diggers. Diggers. And so Jesus says here that earthly stuff, it gets lost, it gets stolen, it gets eaten, it it, it loses its luster. The, The stuff that you hold so dear, whatever it is, it will disappear. And that is in fact the word here that he uses, destroy. Where moth and rust destroy. This word destroy literally means to become invisible, vanish, gone. Today it's here and tomorrow it's gone. Remember James chapter four, verse 14 says, yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a while and then vanishes away, gone. Can't find it. You thought you had it. You thought you were working for it. You thought you made the right investment, but it's gone. Focusing on treasures on earth for satisfaction and for security is fool's errand. You can't find it here. It doesn't matter how it will be lost. The point is it will vanish. And isn't that what we read about in 1 Timothy chapter 6 earlier? Verse 17, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or fix their hope on what? On the uncertainty of riches. The uncertainty of riches. Sure, you're holding your dollar bill now and it's really certain, it's real, it's there. You're looking at your your phone and and your bank app and and you're looking at everything that's there, right? And, And it's certain, You see the numbers. It's right there. But it's not certain. Jesus says it's not certain. God's word says it's not certain. It will be taken away sooner or later. So the point is stop treasuring treasures on earth. In fact, that's the force that you get in verse 19. It's not just do not store, but but the force of this command is stop storing the treasure. Like, we're all susceptible to this. We all want to do this, but Jesus wants us to to stop and to reconsider. Sure, we don't worry about moths and rats, and, and maybe we worry about thieves. But what about inflation? We worry about that today. A lot. We worry that our the market will adjust 
and what we have in our equity will go down the drain in a hurry. And so we're thinking, should I sell? Should I cash in? Or should I stay and just wait it out and see what happens? Property depreciates. Natural disasters occur. All kinds of agent. The point is, it doesn't matter how it will be taken away. The point is, it will be taken away. So stop treasuring. Don't invest into this world now. A side note, for fear of being misunderstood here. Jesus here is not teaching that we should not be wise with our money, that we should not invest, that we shouldn't save, that we shouldn't be good stewards. That is not the problem. Material, earthly stuff is not the problem. Money, in fact, is not the problem as we've read in 1 Timothy 6. What is the love? The love, value, focus, treasure. That is the problem. When we treasure that above God, You're treasuring money and stuff, trying to find satisfaction from it, the hope in it, that is the problem. And this is what Jesus wants us to know. Idolatry is the problem, church. Scripture says plenty about financial principles, and they're emphasized over and over again. Jesus' issue here is not with money. It's about with motivation. Motivation. When you have proper motivation and value, then, then you will have proper management and investments. You will use your money and all your stuff for God's purposes rather than vice versa. Listen, we all need stuff. We all put on stuff today to come here. Jesus affirms that we need stuff in the next section. He says, you need food, you need clothing, you need all this thing. And guess what? The Father knows your need. You need it all. Jesus fully depended on this stuff on earthly exist- in his earthly existence. Tunics, cloaks, sandals, boats, towels, bread, wine. Enjoyed it all. Had it all. But he never looked for ultimate satisfaction in these things, did he? No. None of these things ever made the the transfer of life from this life to the next. None of these things. And if you can't, then it can't be your primary focus. You know, I like what one preacher said. He says, I've never seen a U-Haul trailer hooked up to the back of a hearse. Think about that. You come in naked, You depart naked. You don't take stuff with you. And therefore, it's not eternal. And if it's not eternal, then it shouldn't be your ultimate focus. We look to treasure in heaven, he says, verse 20, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in or steal. Check this out. This is very important. Jesus here is not telling us to stop treasuring. Okay? He's not telling us to stop treasuring. We will always treasure something. We're created to treasure something. 
He's not telling us, stop pursuing, stop valuing, stop assigning value to someone or to something. That's not what he's doing. He's bringing a corrective on what they treasure, not that they treasure. That's assumed. The point is, what are you focusing on? We've been created, church, to delight and to treasure God. Invest in what God values. That's the point. Be motivated for this treasure rather than that. Don't make much of earthly treasures, but but manage it in such a way that it would express and demonstrate your ultimate value. God, Christ, I value above all else. Therefore, everything that I handle here, that I manage, that I accumulate, that I invest in, ultimately has one purpose, and that is to serve him. So think about this. What about my bank account, about my money, my home, my family, my relationships, all my investments, all of these things. How are all of these things serving this great purpose, this greater vision, this greater value of Jesus Christ? Me going to school and spending 15 years in school, how will that ultimately accomplish this goal? How does this demonstrate that I value Jesus Christ? I mean, all these things we got to wrestle with, right, as Christians? We have a different worldview. We have different purpose. We're not just doing life. We're living life for Christ. Then how do we handle stuff that Jesus gives us in this life? He says, don't eliminate the desire. Take your binoculars and refocus it, redirect it. Zoom in. Go a little farther. Go beyond here and now and look ahead. Jesus Christ, treasures in heaven. Now, what are they? They are the things that God prepares for his children. 1 Peter 3, or 1, 4 says, inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. And I, I believe the scripture, as it unfolds here, beginning with Matthew 5 and all the way through Revelation, it demonstrates that the ultimate treasure is Jesus Christ. The ultimate treasure is Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus will just in a few chapters, Matthew 13, verses 44 and 46, will tell us a parable about a man who found a treasure in the field. And he goes home and says, whatever that thing, whatever I own, whatever I have, compares nothing. It holds no value compared to that. And so I'm going to go and I'm going to sell it and I'm going to take all of that and I'm going to own this one thing alone. Why? Because it's of greater value. And then he follows up with the pearl of great price. He found one pearl. He had many, but he found one. And for the sake of one pearl, he gave up everything to own that one pearl. Who is it? Jesus Christ. Colossians 2.3, in whom Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Colossians 3, verse 3 and 5 says this, for If you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God, when Christ, who is our life, Jesus is our life. He's our purpose. He's our pursuit. He's our passion. He's our value. When he is revealed, we will also be revealed with him in glory. So the call of of Christ is to readjust, is to refocus, is to rearrange our lives 
as his followers so that all we possess here and now and all that we do for ourselves and all that we do for others will be directed and motivated by our greatest treasure, God. God. Because where your treasure is, verse 21, there your heart will be also. What does it mean? Your heart. Your heart, it, it speaks of the totality of man, everything, the whole person. Not just your emotions, but everything you are about is there. Whatever you value, whatever you're pursuing, it's there. Where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. So whatever you assign value to, this is where you will find yourself. If you value most what is below, if it's material, then all your thoughts, your desires, your hopes, your fears, your motivations, all of your priorities, all of that will be shaped by what is earthly. But if what you value is above, is of God, if it's spiritual, then your thoughts, your desires, your hope, your fears, your motivations, your priorities, all of it will be shaped by what is heavenly, what is of God. So where is your heart, brother, sister? Where is your heart? Where, is it in heaven? Is your mind set on the things above where, where Christ is seated? Listen, our hearts are always attached to our treasures, always. So examine yourself, Christian. Ask yourself, what am I living for? What do I treasure most? Do you use earthly stuff to make much of Christ or do you use Christ's gift to make much of money for personal gain? That's idolatry. Christians, we know we are not to live for this present age, right? Unbelievers do that. We understand When unbelievers, they invest into here and now. Why? Because that's all they got. But church, we're not like them. We have a new worldview. We look at life differently. We know that there is life after death. And if all we're doing is investing into here and now, what about later? What about then? There's more for us. Do you really believe it? Listen, here's a diagnostic question. Do you believe there's life after death? You know how you answer that? Consider your value. What are you investing in? If you're investing in something that will actually be true after death, then you believe in the afterlife. This is what he wants us to know. This is what he wants us to see. But to reinforce his point, Jesus brings up another illustration which poses for us another question. Number two, how is your vision? How is your vision? Now, verse 22 and 23, this metaphor seems out of place. In fact, if we just remove it and and sin in the process, so don't do that, but if we just were to pluck it out, it would seem that the context here is actually more cohesive, this section, right? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters. That flows. That communicates well. There's a certain conclusion. So why this vision? Why the two eyes? Well, remember who teaches 
here, who's preaching here, Jesus, and Jesus is a powerful preacher. And he teaches the same lesson with different illustrations so that all of us get it. All of these verses, they, they go together. They are meant to address the same issue from different perspectives. The example here that, that Jesus uses makes it very clear, no pun intended, that it's not all about money. There's something else that's at play. So what is it? Think about this. The eye is the lamp of the body. The eye. So, so what is this eye? And we have to remember who uh, Jesus is addressing. He's addressing Jews. He's addressing someone who has Hebrew background. And so if you were to look at Hebrew literature, for instance, you will find out two things about eyes. Okay? That there are two. No, just kidding. Uh, one is that the eye is often used as a symbol for the heart. Okay? Eye is often used as a symbol for the heart. So when a Hebrew person would hear, he's like, aha, I know what that means here. Let me show you a couple of passages here, a few actually, from wisdom literature. Psalm 19.8, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eye. See, same thing. Synonyms, right? The precepts of the Lord, they're right, they rejoice the heart, but the commandment of the Lord, which is the precept of the Lord, it enlightens the eyes, the heart and the eye. Or, or Psalm 131, verse 1, O Lord, my heart is not proud, nor my eyes haughty. Or Proverbs 21, 2, every man's way is right in his own eyes, but the Lord waits the heart. You think in your heart, in your eyes, that your way is correct, but God knows. He's the one who waits. Or, or Proverbs 23, 26, give your heart, my son, and let your eyes delight in my way. Same thing. Give your heart, let your eyes. So that's the first thing. Heart and eyes, they're, they're synonymous to the Hebrew mind. But second, the eye is often a symbol, not just a synonym, but a symbol for strong desire, for passion, for like lust. For instance, think about how sin entered the world, Genesis 3, 6. When the woman saw, right? When the woman saw that, that the tree was good for food and that it was delight to the eyes, this looks so nice. This looks so delicious. And that it was desirable. This desire came through the eyes. Ecclesiastes 2.10. All that my eyes desired, I did not refuse. Or Ecclesiastes 4.8. There was a certain man without a dependent, having neither a son nor a brother, yet there was no end to all his labors. Indeed, his eyes were not satisfied with riches. Eyes create this intense longing, desire. Proverbs 27, 20, Sheol and Abaddon are never satisfied, nor the eyes of a man ever satisfied. Just one more. So Jesus says here that the eye is the lamp. The eye is the lamp. The eye brings in the light to the body, okay? It's not the source the light comes in through the eye. It illumines and it enlightens the reality that's in front of you. 
you open your eyes and you see the reality. So in a normal circumstance, it is through our eyes that we interpret reality. Some are blind and they don't get the benefit. So they have to go in, they have to grope, okay? Or they have to listen to what's going on in order to interpret. But in the normal circumstance, it is through the eyes we understand the world around us. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. The light here is then understanding that's connected to our desires, that's connected to our heart. So putting all, all this together, here's what Jesus teaches through this metaphor. Your heart, okay, or what you desire most will become your determinative factor for the meaning of life. What you desire the most will be what determines how you interpret life. Reality as you know it is directly tied to your eyes. That is your heart, your desires. I mean, it sounds like verse 21, for where your treasure is there, your heart will be also, doesn't it? In other words, your craving, your treasures determine the meaning of life. And if that meaning of life is darkness, Jesus exclaims, how great is that darkness? Therefore, he continues and he says, so then if your eye is clear, if your eye is clear. The literal translation of this word clear is to be single or, or to be without folds. Okay, you're not double, you are single. One vision, and, and KJV got this one right. Okay, so, so the clear eye represents a heart that is single, that has a single vision, that has single devotion, single purpose, single passion, single value. It's like you're picking up binoculars and you're focusing on one thing. There's a lot going on, but you're singular in your focus. This person is, is motivated by a single passion. He will not be deterred from his goal. Why? Because he's focusing ahead and he's going there. But if your eye is bad, bad, it's not a direct opposite of single. It means evil, evil eye. It's a Hebrew, Hebrew expression that often means grudging or stingy. The man with an evil eye is not single in his pursuits, but is selfish in his motivation. This man who divides his interests and tries to focus on both God and, and stuff, he has no clear vision, and he will live without clear orientation or direction in life. I mean, have you ever experienced, anyone here experienced double vision? Double vision. Okay, I guess I am in danger of, of uh, getting there. A year ago, I went to my eye doctor, and he said, listen, your eyesight is pretty bad, but the worst thing about it is the discrepancy between your eyes. One is bad, the other one's really bad. And if we we're going to give you uh, contact lenses, okay, your right eye is so bad that you're going to start seeing double. Okay, we don't want to do that, so you're going to graduate to glasses. That's not why I'm here. I'm still okay. That's not why I'm wearing these. Um, 
double. And, and, and he said, I, I, obviously, I will not do something that will put you in jeopardy. And got me thinking, why, why jeopardy? Double vision. And if you experience double vision, at one time, I forgot I had my contacts on and I put on my glasses. Try that sometimes. Don't you know, mess up your vision. But literally, you see double. And so, like, if you're driving or even in your house, like, you're going in the hallway and you think that the door is here, but it's actually there. And you end up hitting the corner. Why? Because it's double. Or you're driving in your car and you think it's time to turn to the right because here's the intersection, but it's not here. <laughs> Storefront is right here. Fire hydrant is what's here. You got to go a couple, other, couple more feet in order to, to make it. Double vision destroys you. That's the point. If you are not single focused on Jesus Christ, you will be destroyed. Now what he's saying, if your eye is clear, you will understand, you will interpret life. But if your eye is bad, you're in jeopardy. Friends, how is your vision? Are you full of light? Do your do you have your heart enlightened this morning? As Paul prays for the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 1.18, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches? What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? Do you see the true value? Do you understand, do you interpret your life here and now and all that's happening and around you through the lens of Christ? Can you see this morning? That's the point. Jesus wants us to have single vision. Look to Christ and be satisfied. Let the other stuff, the earthly stuff, serve a greater purpose. Worship God. Now, finally, real quickly, we're going to come back to this next time or two weeks from now. But hear how Jesus concludes this section in our final verse. The reality is this, friends. Hear this out. You can't value both treasures at the same time. Earthly treasures and heavenly. You just can't do it. You can pretend to Oh, I'm just accumulating this stuff for Jesus and I'm going to donate it to others. Or I just got this car because, you know, I'm serving Jesus. You can find all kinds of excuses. But ultimately, you have to decide who is the focal point. What is the driving motivation? You can't live both in the light and in darkness at the same time. Something has to give. Right now, today, like in, in your seat, 1129, you are valuing something more than other. Today, you are treasuring Christ or something else. So consider this final point, who is your master? Here's the, here's the picture, the impossibility of dual slavery. No one can serve two lords. No one is able. Two lords. Lords. Why? Because by definition, the master or the Lord has total control over a slave. 
There are no part-timers when it comes to slavery. We have all been born enslaved to sin and the things of this world. One master. We were not masters of our, of our life. We had another master. Read Ephesians chapter 2. And he rules. And he dictates. And we follow. And we think, oh, free men. Doing whatever I want to do. But behind it all is another master. But now those of us who have been born again became enslaved to Christ. He is the Lord. He is the master. What does it mean then as master? Christ demands full allegiance. He gives direction. He gives permission what we ought to do. He designs the agenda. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God and stuff. I really like what one pastor said in regards to this. He says, God will not be on a list of loves that you manage. He's not just one of many loves. Is this the case with you? Who do you serve? Check this out. No one can serve. You will either love You will either be devoted. So ask yourself, who am I serving? Who do I love? Who do I devote myself to? It can't be God and. It can't be stuff and. Single proposition. The means which God created for his own purpose must serve his purpose. Our money and all the earthly stuff, it should serve Jesus Christ. Church, with all of these illustrations, treasures, eyes, masters, Jesus intends to teach one point, where is our focus? Where is our focus? What are you treasuring? What are you craving for this morning? What are you going after to find satisfaction, to find fulfillment, to find security? Having a worldly attitude towards earthly stuff, listen, does not necessarily mean you have a lot of stuff, or you always enjoy spending a lot of money. You know, in some cases, most materialistic people today are the most stingy. In the same way, enjoying what you have, spending money, does not mean you have worldly attitude. So don't get that right either. Don't get that wrong, rather. What's the problem? As Paul writes in 1 Timothy 6, What do you fix your hope on? That's the issue. Where do you put your trust? If all of a sudden everything is taken away from you in this life, like Job, what are you going to do? Friend, you were created. Your heart was created for God, to enjoy God, to delight in God. And it is only through Christ that you can do that. Again, I think the rest of the New Testament bears that witness and testimony that the preacher himself here is the treasure. The gospel of Christ, the gospel of grace is the only thing that can empower you to see your life as God sees your life. Empower you to sacrifice. Empower you to share, to hope. Not here, but there. Eternal satisfaction does not result, 
church from craving earthly stuff, but from treasuring Jesus and his agenda. Lord, we thank you. And we want to commit to this agenda. We want to denounce all the other loves that compete with you. And we do that. And we know that this is true of us. So let this be an encouragement for for all of us as a church to prioritize, to, to fix our eyes and to fix our focus on Jesus Christ. We want to serve him alone. And we want everything else that we own to serve him also. So help us to focus. Help us to readjust. Help us to value what you value, your son. And it is in his holy name we pray. Amen.